Welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today's podcast will be from Psalm 92. Psalm 92 in the introduction says, A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. With a ten-string lute and with the harp, with the resounding music upon the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the work of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this, that when the wicked sprouted up like grass, and all who do iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed for evermore. But you, O Lord, are on high forever, for behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies will perish, and all who do iniquity will be scattered." But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil, and my eye has looked exultantly upon my foes. My ear hears of the evildoers who rise against me. The righteous will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age, and they will be full of sap and very green, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. There is no title of the Psalms like the title of Psalm 92. Psalm 92 is tied to a song for the Sabbath day. This song demonstrates that the Sabbath was a day of worship and praise, as we see throughout the pages of the Old Testament. In Leviticus 23, in verse 3, there is a reference to a holy convocation, a holy assembly that took place on the Sabbath day. That may have been implied in other passages, such as Amos chapter 8 and verse 5, but, but it's certainly stated there in Leviticus 23. The Sabbath day was a day of worship. It was the seventh day, and interestingly, the name of the Lord, when the Lord, word Lord appears in all capitals, the Hebrew term Yahweh is used. It is used seven times in Psalm 92. Is that purposeful? It's possible. But the Bible opens, or Psalm 92 opens, good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. God was addressed as the Most High in Psalm 91, verse 1, in Psalm 91, verse 9, as He is here in Psalm 92, 1. It's good to give thanks and to sing praises to God's name. What does it mean to praise God? What does that mean? One thing it means is to give thanks to Him. And when we truly express our thanksgiving, 
when we express the fact that we are dependent upon Him for every single blessing, when we do that, we are praising God. And the Bible tells us it's good to give thanks, to sing praises to your name in verse 2, to declare your loving kindness. Notice the attributes of God that this text emphasizes are the loving kindness of God and the faithfulness of God. Those attributes are focused on extensively throughout the book of Psalms. But just recently, Psalm 89 has used each of these terms seven times. But as Psalm 89 drew to a close, it asked, basically, God, what happened to your loving kindness and your faithfulness? A paraphrase of Psalm 89 and verse 49. And this passage, Psalm 92-2, tells us that God's loving kindness and God's faithfulness is still present with His people. And they praise His loving kindness by morning. They praise His faithfulness by evening. Morning and evening may be a merism, that you praise Him, that you give thanks to Him, that you declare His loving kindness and His faithfulness continually, perpetually. Some have also associated this with the morning and evening sacrifice, Psalm 92.2, with the morning and evening sacrifice. Because of the mention of the instruments that were played in verse 3, and we know when that morning and evening burnt offering were made, that they sounded trumpets and played on instruments. You read that in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 37 through 43. And just as that was done, so here, as they declare God's loving kindness and God's faithfulness with the morning and evening sacrifice, that perhaps this is the tie to Psalm 92 in verses 2 and 3. But this psalm praises God. It praises the work of God. In verse 4, you, O God, have made me glad by what you have done, and I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. This particular word for works in verse 4 is going to appear a couple of times later, and so Lord willing, we will come back to it. A different word for works is used in verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. As we observe the works of God, as we observe the wonders around us, it is an indication of an omniscient God whose thoughts are deeper than we have the capacity to understand. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 And God's thoughts are far greater than anything we imagine. In Psalm 40 and verse 5, the Bible tells us that God's thoughts are too numerous to count. 
In Psalm 139, as it has described the omniscience of God, the fact that God knows absolutely everything, the text emphasizes in verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Not only are God's thoughts beyond our ability to grasp, but God's thoughts to us are beyond our ability to grasp. As Paul contemplated the wonder of God's salvation in Romans 11:33, he said, Oh, oh, the wonders and the depth of, of the salvation of God. I didn't, par- I didn't quote that, uh, but I simply paraphrased Romans 11:33. I might say paraphrased it rather poorly. Go back and read that passage of Scripture. But the Bible tells us the senseless man and the stupid man in verse in verse 6 doesn't understand this. What does he not understand? Well, in verse 5, he doesn't understand the greatness of God's works and the greatness of God's thoughts. He doesn't understand that. And in verse 7, what he doesn't understand is the short-term prosperity of the wicked. He doesn't understand these two things. In verse 7, when the wicked sprouted up like grass and all who do iniquity flourished, it was only that it might that they might be destroyed forevermore. The wicked sprout up like grass. But but grass, grass too is a picture of something that is only here for a moment. In Psalm 90, verses 5 and 6, it, it springs up in the morning, but by evening it is dead. And when the wicked prosper, it is short term. It is not a long term success story. And the senseless man, the stupid man of verse 6, fails to appreciate the wonder of God in verse 5. He fails to appreciate how short-term the prosperity of the wicked is in verse 7. But in the midst of this, in verse 8, you, O Lord, are on high forever amidst all the drama that takes place on planet earth. God is safely enthroned in heaven above it all. The Bible tells us, I saw the Lord lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe was filling the temple. In Isaiah 6 and verse 1, I, God is great. God is glorious. You, O Lord, are on high forever. It is interesting to me that this verse about God's reign and God's greatness and God's glory in verse 8 is surrounded by two passages about evil men, doers of iniquity, about those who do iniquity, evil doers. It's striking to see that. Even in the midst of a world where evil doers may seem to prosper for a moment, The Lord is on high forever. The Lord is on high. Now, I stated in verse 4 
that the word for the works of God's hand, it is not the most common word for works used in the Old Testament, but it is used again in verse 7 and verse 9 to talk about those who do or those who work iniquity. And this is my point, that the works of God are contrasted with those who do evil works and those who work iniquity. The works of God are stressed in verse 4. The works of those who do iniquity is stressed in verse 7 and verse 9. Now, verse 9 is a good example of climactic parallelism, where many of the same words are repeated and they build up to a grand finale or climax. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, behold, your enemies will perish, and all who do iniquity will scatter. Archaeologists have found a poem that was given to Baal that said these words, Behold thine enemies, O Baal, behold thine enemies, thou shalt crush. Behold thy enemies, thou shalt crush thy foes completely. Isn't it interesting that other nations wrote similar poetry to their gods. And the biblical authors may have been well aware of all of that. And they took the words that they addressed to their gods and addressed them to their God, the Lord Yahweh, to intentionally stress that it is not Baal whose enemies will be crushed and defeated, but it is the Lord Yahweh, whose enemies will be crushed. In verse 10, But you exalted my horn, in contrast to the enemies who will be crushed, God has, exhort, God has exalted the horn of the wild ox. The word used on high in the New American Standard in verse 8 is the same root word used as a verb in verse 10, but you exalted my horn. God is exalted, and God can exalt who he wants. Psalm uh, 75 verse 10 talks about God cutting off the horns of the wicked and lifting up the horns of the righteous. You have exalted my horns like that of the wild ox. The wild ox that is mentioned here may be a creature that is now extinct but it seems to be enormously powerful. And God used it as he was talking to Job in Job 39, verses 9 through 12, in order to stress Job's limitations, that Job can't control these powerful creatures that God holds in his hand. The wild ox was notorious for its power for its strength and the fact that no man can control it. And here God can exalt us like the horns of a wild ox. The picture of horns is a picture of strength because animals often fought with their horns. And God not only exalts our strength, but it is compared with the mightiest and most powerful of beasts. And God anointed with fresh oil. 
anointing was often associated with joy. In uh, Psalm uh, 45, verse 7, you see that. You also see that in in Proverbs, Proverbs um, in 27, verse 9, and in Isaiah 61, in verse 3, God can give the psalmist strength. God can also give the psalmist joy. His eye will look, his ears will hear of the defeat of his foes. But in verse 12, the righteous is compared to a palm tree and like a cedar in Lebanon. Cedars in Lebanon were powerful trees, enormous trees, uh, trees that could live uh, perhaps there's some instances, uh, a normal lifespan may be as many as 300 years, and in some exceptional cases, maybe a thousand years. And the Bible uses this as a picture. It uses this as a picture of the righteous. Now, the word flourish, the same Hebrew word translated flourish in verse 11 and 12, is used back in verse 7. In verse 7, it talks about the temporary flourishing of those who work iniquity. But their flourishing will only be for a moment. It is compared to the grass. While the flourishing of the righteous, the flourishing of the righteous is compared to a palm or to a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord, verse 13 says. Planted in the house of the Lord, and they flourish in the courts of his house, and they still yield fruit, even in old age, in verse 14. Remember that the righteous will be like a tree planted by the water that brings forth its fruit in its season, and its leaf will not wither, Psalm 1 and verse 3. Jeremiah 17 verse 8 uses language similar to this. The righteous is like a tree, like a cedar of Lebanon, planted, planted in the courts of the Lord. And in verse 15, we declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. Let me ask you, To compare verse 15 with Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. And notice the similarities between God as a rock, between God being upright and there being no unrighteousness in him. The flourishing of the righteous is compared to the palm tree and the cedar tree to the house planted or the tree planted in the house of the Lord. Do you know that Solomon's temple was built with the trees that were cedars of Lebanon? 1 Kings chapter 5. And in 1 Kings 6, verse 29, verse 32, and verse 35, images of palm trees were carved into the temple, the house of the Lord. Both of these trees mentioned, the palm tree and the cedar, had a presence 
in the Lord's house, the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. And here, the righteous is like a palm tree, a cedar tree, planted in the house of the Lord. And it continues to yield fruit because it is in such a good environment. And this may remind us of another place where trees grew freely. In the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 2, in verse 9, out of which grew trees that were good for food and trees that were pleasant to the eye. Psalm 92 is a powerful psalm. And any of our descriptions of any of these psalms falls far short of all their power. But let's see how Jesus fulfilled this psalm. First of all, the word that's used for God in verse 1 in his dwelling place in verse 8, that God be the most high and his dwelling is on high in the Septuagint, it is the word for God most high that's used a few times in the New Testament when the demons say, Jesus, son of the most high God, why have you come to torment us? Before our time, Mark 5, verse 7, Luke 8, verse 28. It is the word used in Luke 1, 32, in Luke 1, 35, where Jesus is declared to be the Son of the Most High God. Jesus is the rock, mentioned in verse 15 in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, and 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. Other foundation can no man lay but that which is laid in Jesus Christ. And there was no iniquity found in Christ, as Pilate affirmed in his trial, just as there was no iniquity or unrighteousness in God in Psalm Psalm 92 in verse 15. But the Bible tells us that our God is exalted in verse 8. And the Bible tells us that He exalts His servant in verse 10. This is a word used of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Let me say it clearly. The word used in the major Greek translation, the Septuagint, the major Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament is the word used in the Greek New Testament. In John 3, verse 14, in John 8, verse 28, in John 12, verse 32, when Jesus spoke of his death upon the cross. Yes, God would exalt Jesus in a different way. He would lift him up on the cross. And that may look like weakness and foolishness to the world, but it is God's power and it is God's strength. But you have exalted my horn like the horn of a wild ox. And because God was lifted up in his son on the cross, Therefore, all who humble themselves before him can be lifted up. Matthew 23, 12, Luke 14, 11, 
Luke 18 and verse 14. God is worthy of praise. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Thank you, and God bless you.